G'day friends, welcome back. What a good round of footy that was. I don't know how many times I've said that this year, but that was another very, very good weekend of football. And you know it was good because I tipped a grand total of two games correctly, which is not good for me, but it means there was some surprises over the weekend, that is for sure. So let's get into it. Hipwood and Danaher can also kick goals 
from beyond the 50 meter arc without a whole lot of difficulty, which is, you know, just a big problem in and of itself. Charlie Cameron, he hasn't had the best year this year. He's, you know, sort of took him a while to get going, but he's playing really, really well now. And Tom Stewart was sent to him to do a job, keep him quiet, and he failed miserably. Cameron was back to his electric best, and that mark that he took, I think it was in the third quarter, that mark he took was great, and it wasn't even the top three mark of the weekend. <laughs> like, there, there was, gee whiz, there was some good marks, so I'll, I'll get to them, but yeah, that one he took was great. Um, but yeah, and like that 50-minute penalty that Stewart gave away, um, like you'd see that Cameron and really the whole Brisbane team just was getting under the skin. They were frustrated. Like the fact that it took them nearly a quarter and a half to kick their first goal um, would have been really, really, you know, difficult for them because they've had so, you know, they've been such a good team for so long. Like they, they would have thought they were on the sort of the same level. As Brisbane, especially after their game earlier in the year, they would have thought they were both at the same level in terms of contending for the Premiership. But Brisbane just minced them. And that's all you can say. I think Geelong will be okay. Like, they're still probably going to finish top four. Um, They're going to want to not get belted by 40 or 50 points again because that fourth position is going to seriously be up for grabs. You know, Port Adelaide have got a pretty okay run home. Um, so, yeah, like, who knows what Sydney can do or West Coast, who knows? So they're going to need to hang on to that fourth spot, Geelong. <laughs> like, especially with their list, the age demographic within, if they can, you know, get themselves an extra chance and win that first final, get themselves a week off, They'll, they'll be in, you know, really good position to have a real crack at the flag, but they, they can't be losing games like that, that's for sure. Okay, now let's talk about the Saints. Oh, boy, did we need that, first of all. We needed that desperately. Have a good win against a top eight side, Richmond no less. Um... A game where everything actually went right. Like, God, it was pleasing to see. It was like whatever little mini review they've done over the bye, clearly it was effective, at least for now, which is really, really good to see. Um, where do I begin? Um, having Marshall and Ryder back in the team clearly is the difference. Like, it, it's... It changes the entire setup and dynamic of the team. Having both of them there, the first thing it does is allow Marshall to be the extra key forward and take a lot of pressure off King, which is good. It also means that Ryder, who is the better tap Ruckman, gets less tired because he's being able to you know, be relieved more by a second genuine Ruckman, right? It gives you more marking targets around the ground. Like, it, it makes the team better in about three or four different ways. So, and Marshall didn't even have that great a game. He was pretty quiet, quiet. Like, it's only his first game back. 
but you know, even just him being there, he doesn't have to have a lot of impact, but his presence alone can do a lot. Um, the debutante Connolly, who didn't know he was debuting until moments before the game, um, so Billings, I believe, like he's had issues with his foot all year, and that's what everyone thought it was when he was suddenly a very, like with less than five minutes to go, um, very laid out. Turns out it's some sort of knee issue, so I don't know what's going on there. But Caulfield, who was the medical sub, comes in, Connolly becomes the medical sub, and then Caulfield gets subbed out for the hamstring injury in the third quarter. Connolly comes in, right? He has one touch in the third quarter, but then in the fourth quarter, ten disposals at ninety percent efficiency, and like the game was over, and you know there were a lot of sort of just junk disposals, but every single thing he did, he did perfectly. I was really, really impressed with him. Um, so I hope he's especially if Billings and Caulfield are out next week. I hope he stays in the team. Um, long up forward. So Billings being out of the team meant that we needed a replacement in the forward half of the ground. So that's, I don't know if that was their plan before that, but Long was that guy. And Long has struggled a lot this year. He can't hold a spot in the team. Um, Sinclair has sort of taken his position on the halfback flank, but this was his best game for the year by a long way. He he only had 10 disposals or something, but he had a lot of score assists, kicked a goal himself, and his pressure inside forward 50 like was awesome. It, it led to, I would say, half of our score came from, you know, chains of pressure in which he was involved. He was superb. Um, it was good to see Max and Higgins kick straight. That was really good. Um, the Dougal Howard and, and Cal Wilkie are, especially Wilkie, they're, they're going, I mean, probably because of St Kilda's form, but they've been quite underrated this year. Wilkie kept Jack Rewalt to one behind, which he kicked with moments to go in the game. Um, every single time it went to Rewalt, just about, Wilkie was there with the spoil. And because there was no Lynch in the side, it meant that Howard didn't really have an opponent he had to seriously worry about. No offence to Samson Ryan, who I will get to, um, or Coleman Jones. Uh, but he was allowed to do whatever he wanted, basically, and he played probably his best game for the year as well. So... All around, oh, and Dunstan is the other one I wanted to mention. So Dunstan is probably, in, in the last month, um, one of the best players in the competition. Like he, he only played the one game last year, had a couple of injuries, had only played the one game this year until four weeks ago when he got back into the team. And across that month, he has probably been our best player, except for maybe Steele who has been in really good nick as well, that he, he got 10 coaches' votes on Friday night, which for him is, is outstanding. He, he's always been just a little bit underrated, but his inconsistency has been an, an issue for him. 
Um, but the way that he played, he he dealt with Dustin Martin when Martin was in the middle of the ground, which was really only early on in the game. Apart from that, he wasn't um, sighted around the ball a whole lot. He was forward a lot more, where Webster dealt with him. Um, but yeah, his... He's, he's now... He seems to... Like, he hasn't played a lot of footy in the last few years, so I haven't really been able to see his development. It's been in the VFL. But he's always been that inside mid, like very pure inside mid. But now he's doing both. He's taking it from the inside himself to the outside and gaining metres. He did that a lot on Friday night. These long kicks into the forward line. And that goal that he kicked in the third quarter... By the way, I will tell you that he's a left footer and he nailed that goal off his right foot on the run. That was a ripping goal. Um, there, was, there was a few really good goals. McKenzie's second goal, which I don't know, I don't think he's ever done that, kicked two goals in a game, but his second goal, that set shot from 50 metres out, I never in a million years would have thought he could do that. There's another player who's underrated. Like, he's not, like, McKenzie's a really interesting player. He was an early second round pick years ago, like 2014 or 2015, um, I think it was the 2014 draft, he was a favourite of Alan Richardson, he's played 55 games, he's never been able to hold a spot in the team, even this, I think he's played five or six games this year, hasn't been able to hold a spot in the team, but every time he comes in he gets given a role, and he does it really, really well, he's, uh, it was just so good to see everything come together on Friday night, and I expect, I fully expect it to be replicated against Collingwood this coming weekend. Uh, Richmond, uh, everyone after Friday was very, very quick to rule them out of premiership contention. I have learnt my lesson and I will not be doing that until they have been eliminated from the season, either by them not making finals or being eliminated from the final series. They are still the most dangerous team in the comp, especially now because we don't know what they're going to do. Is this their, you know, their average now? Is just mediocre again and they've finished their, you know, their dynasty? Or are they just in a very, very deep lull and they're going to strike now and, you know, storm their way to another premiership? We have no idea. Going, like, given they only kicked two goals for the entire game against a team that they belted by 14 goals 10 weeks ago, um, you would say that them storming home and winning the grand final is extremely unlikely, but I refuse to commit to that. They're gone when they're gone and not a moment before. Um, Their biggest issue at the moment is going to be their tours. I feel really, really bad for Samson Ryan, the kid that they debuted. It was glaringly obvious that he was not ready for AFL football. Um, He had no disposals, I think no tackles, no marks, no nothing. I think he had a couple of pressure acts and he wanted to go a couple of hit-outs, I imagine, but he had zero, fully mean that, zero impact on the game. I believe he had negative three fantasy points from playing 
about 50% game time, um, which isn't his fault. It's not his fault. He, he was put in before he was ready. And he did hurt his knee in the first quarter, but he came back on, which means he was fine. So it's not his fault that that was how he performed. He was just very clearly dropped in the deep end before he could swim at all. Um, but that's the state that their tools are in. So until Nankervis and Lynch and now Bolter, those three especially are back in the team, that they are not going to be able to, if they can make finals, they will not win one without at least two of those three guys back. Um, Nankervis is probably the most important. He's been criminally underrated in their, you know, in this premiership success that they've had. He's not the best tap ruckman. He's not the most athletic, but he makes an enormous difference to their team. And Chol and Coleman Jones and Ryan on Friday night could not come close to competing with the Ryder-Marshall combination. They got spanked by those two boys. Um, so yeah, they need Dan Curvis back. They need Lynch back just to having another elite tall forward just will make Rewalt's life easier and then that'll make Lynch's life, like, it, it'll just work. And now with Bolter out, their back line is suddenly quite short because Grimes is, you know, he plays as a key defender, but he's not as big as Bolter, not even close. So they're going to need him back as soon as possible if they are going to seriously have a, another crack this year. Um... But yeah, like I said, I refuse to take them out of contention for the flag because they do have a habit of making us look very silly sometimes. Like in 2017, I actually tipped them to win the wooden spoon and they did the exact opposite. So yeah, I'm not going to be falling for that again. All right, on to the Saturday games. So first of all, fun stat about the four games on Saturday, the four margins were 9, 10, 11, and 12 points, which is kind of fun. So the first game was North Melbourne and the Gold Coast. Um, obviously, really, really well done North Melbourne on getting, their, on getting their second win of the year, and they've now won two and a half games. Um, their last six weeks has been really, really good. That They struggled hard the first half of the year, but you could see the development. You could see it coming. They got the win over Hawthorne. They drew with the Giants. They actually should have probably won that game, um, which you could say about both teams anytime there's a draw. But, you know, really, really good game in that one. And now they've now they've beaten Gold Coast. Like, they're not beating top teams, but they are beating teams who, you know, they, they should be competitive at least against. But now now we can see that even though they're on the bottom, North, they're not the worst team in the competition because they, they are heading in the right direction pretty quickly. So like I could see them winning, you know, one, maybe two more games before the end of the year, the way they're going. Because um, the more you win, the more you learn how to win. People who don't follow football closely won't really understand what that means. But when you start to win and win and win, it becomes more habitual than something you have to, like, really concentrate on. Like, the teams who have had the dynasties, yeah, 
Brisbane, Geelong, Hawthorne, Richmond, they get to a point where they don't know how to lose. Because their system is so ingrained and they're so confident, they might as well be starting the game four goals up. And I'm not saying North are at that level, but winning leads to more winning. It's exponential in a way, right? So yeah, their last month and a half has been really, really solid. And, you know, I've, um, it's been nice seeing them have so much success down in Tassie. I think this game is down in Tassie. Because um, they've got a lot of fans down there who don't get to see a lot of football. So, yeah, that's that's really nice for them. Um, Gold Coast. I want to talk about the Gold Coast a little bit. So, David Teague at the moment, you would say, is the coach who's under the most pressure. Um, and I don't know how that isn't Stuart Jew instead. Teague has been coaching for just over two years, just over two full seasons, because um, he started in sort of the middle of 2019. I think that's right, yeah. Um, and from memory, I believe he's won 18 games in that period. Um, Stuart Jew, this is his fourth season, so he's, you know, coached over now three and a half seasons. He's won two less games as coach than David Teague has. Like, I know it's up, you know, the way that Carlton is viewed and the way that Gold Coast are viewed at this point in history is very different because of their legacies, respective. Um, but, like, the, I mean, like, Gold Coast did have some key outs. I think Weller and Swallow, I believe, were both out for this game. But they should have won. They should be beating North Melbourne. They've, they've built a very competitive list, Gold Coast. They've got all these really good young players, and they've been bolstering, you know, with, with older players. They bring in Greenwood and Atkins and um, Oleg Markov, like the, these slightly more experienced players who can help the development of these young superstars that they've got. But they just, they just cannot seem to grow into the form that they should be in. They can't do it. They cannot do it. Like, if, I don't know, if by the middle of next year, like, I personally think that Ju needs to be looking over his shoulder before this season is done, but if somehow he hangs on to his job heading into 2022... If they cannot show serious, genuine development, like they are being competitive or beating teams that are in the top eight, like if they can't show that, he's going to be gone by the bye. He has to be. He has to be. Like, because it's, it's, they're going to have the same thing that they had four years ago, five years ago. Mass exodus will begin. All their best players will go, all these superstars that they've been fostering will just come back to Melbourne or wherever they're from, right? Like, Ben King coming to St Kilda is not a done deal, right? He's out of contract at the end of next year. If Gold Coast suddenly start playing really well and are looking, you know, halfway through next year that they might be playing finals, why wouldn't he just re-sign with them, right? Save himself moving house, Yeah. But if, if they get to the middle of next year and they've won one or two games, 
he will start having, I mean, he will have already started by then, but he will start having serious conversations with St Kilda or another Melbourne club, I guarantee you. Right, and that can be said for all of these, like, you know, Raul and Anderson and, um, like, guys like Powell, like, all, all these young players who don't want to spend their entire career winning four games a year for a club, you know, that doesn't have a, an enormous support, that isn't playing in front of 80,000 at the MCG or 35,000 at Marvel. Like, that's what they want to do. They want to play on the big stage. They want to have success. They want to enjoy themselves, right? Which is totally fair. So Gold Coast cannot just keep on losing all the time. Because, the like, this experiment... Like, the GWS experiment has worked quite well. They, they tapped into that Western Sydney market at the exact right time, and it's worked for them. Everyone knows that, that no professional sports team has really ever worked on the Gold Coast, but the AFL could get it to work if they wanted to. They just need to not be afraid to keep on trying. They can't just wait and wait and wait for Stuart Jew to come good, right? Give it, They've given him three years. Is it three and a half years now? By the end of this year, that'll be four seasons, right? If it clearly isn't working, don't wait. Just get a new guy in, right? There's this guy named Nathan Buckley who recently lost his job. I'd be talking to him, right? I'm sure he does want a break from coaching, I have no doubt. But, you know, ask the question. Do you want to go and live up on the Gold Coast indefinitely? See if you can coach them to a flag, you know? Just, I don't know. It worries me because, you know, although they do not have a big supporter base, they do have, you know, some kind of, you know, strong, committed fan base who is going to hate seeing them lose so goddamn always. So they need to fix it, Gold Coast, because they're going to go belly up if they don't. Okay. <sighs> Next game. That was very doom and gloom. Next game. Oh, this was a ripper. Fremantle getting over the Pies in Melbourne by two goals. Uh, my first question and my biggest concern, what has happened to Brody Grundy's hair? He had one of the best man buns going in the game, and he's cut it off. Is it this week that he cut it off, or was it gone before the bye? Did Robert Harvey ask him to cut it off? Did he give it to Nathan Buckley as a parting gift? I don't know, but it's gone, and Conwood lost. All I know is last time I saw him with it, they won. So, I don't know. Go figure. Um, really, really good win by Fremantle. They don't win away from Perth a lot. So to come to Melbourne and beat Collingwood, who you know everyone knows when a caretaker coach takes over, say that time to 10 times fast. <laughs> um, when a caretaker coach takes over, the team usually goes pretty well. So it's a really good win by Frio. That they Frio are in ninth now. Because Essendon and GWS both lost on the weekend, they're in ninth. And like by points, they're in ninth. They're half a game ahead of the Giants, and they're a game ahead of Essendon and St Kilda. And a good bit of percentage on St Kilda as well. Um, so they, if they can 
string together some wins and some unexpected wins, they could sneak into the eight if things go their way. That'd be amazing. Um, they're playing really, really good footy, Fremantle. Even without Fife, they were able to win. Um, Brayshaw is going to be a, a fucking superstar. He's an amazing player already. He's in his third or fourth season. He is amazing to watch. He, he like, they can now, you know, perform like this without Fife and without Walters in the team, by the way, because it's players like him and Chera and all these young guys, like, I'm going to, I don't even know if I know their names, Schultz and Switkowski and Bewley who kicked that great goal in the last quarter, like, and, and some of the older fellas, like Rory Lobb, how good is he when he's, like, playing with some confidence and taking contested marks and, geez, a good player. And, and like, their back line, they've actually, you know, their back line has really, really struggled to stay healthy, but now Alex Pierce is actually in the team. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're building a handy little team. Freo, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the way that they're going. If I, if I was a Freo supporter, I'd be so excited for what the next five years is going to look like because it's going to be awesome. Um, Collingwood, I mean, the Collingwood, like, they weren't bad, Collingwood. They just couldn't quite get the job done in the last quarter. Like, the momentum fluctuated quite a lot. They did get themselves in front, um, but they just couldn't hang on. Really, really sloppy 50-metre penalty from Maynard. Cost him a goal. Um wasn't the difference in the end, but who knows what could have happened if he hadn't done that. Um, you know, I, I would have liked Harvey to have a win in his first game as coach. I would have enjoyed that. I wish him all the best. Um, I hope he does really well in the in this interim role, but not well enough that he gets the job and he comes and becomes an assistant coach at St Kilda instead. Um, but yeah, Collingwood definitely weren't bad. They're, they're, they're another, like, you know, they're going to be rebuilding now. That's what they're going to start doing. But they also have unearthed plenty of really good young players this year. So it's it's not all, you know, bad news for the Pies in 2021. There's a lot of bad news, but it's not all bad news. Alrighty. Moving on. What was the next? Oh, the next. This is another awesome game. The Port and Sydney game. Port getting the job done by just 10 points. This, like, this we've been spoiled this year. Seems like every three or four weeks there is another game that is one of the best games of the year. This is one of the best games of the year. This is amazing. Um, just one thing I want to talk about before I forget, Travis Boak. So he gets tagged out of the game completely in the first half by George Hewitt. Um, I think he gets seven touches in the entire first half. But then, rather than, like... Rather than just you know, going into his shell or just being put in, you know, being put on the half forward flank or something, he sticks with it and he shakes the tag. He stays in the middle of the ground and he says, Fuck your tag, I'm going to play how I want. And he has an amazing second half. Like, he is in the twi twilight of his career. Um, it, was a, it was a few years ago now that he was moved to the half forward flank to finish out his career. But then he was playing so well in the midfield, he's now gone back there permanently, and he's one of their best mids. Probably their second best mid after Wines. Um, 
for all young midfielders, I mean any position, but mostly midfielders, who are going to be getting tagged as they develop. Like, this is, this is a great demonstration of how you can fix it, of how you can, you know, shake a tag, undo a tag, you know. Like, like these guys like Brayshaw, who I just mentioned, Walsh, Walsh is already getting tagged. Um, they're going to deal with this for the rest of their careers. But if they're smart about it, that there is, you know, stuff they can do. Like, what Boke did is he sort of flipped it on Hewitt. Right, Hewitt wasn't having a shitload of the ball himself, but he was completely stopping Boke from having the ball. So what Boke did was, rather than just go for the ball, deal with Hewitt first. Get him out of the contest and then go and get the ball yourself. Right? So in centre bounces, he would give him a little shove underneath the ball and then grab it and run away. Or, you know, he would let Hewitt get sucked into contests around the ground and then just sort of read the play and wait for the ball to spit out and get on the end of a chain of hand. But, like, he did it so, so well. And it was, if he hadn't done that, Port would not have won the game. They would not have won the game. They also wouldn't have won the game if Scott Lysette hadn't kicked a miraculous goal from the pocket. And one of my favourite bits of commentary from the whole year um, came from that moment. Anthony Hudson is calling it and Lysette kicks the goal. And then and him and the other commentators are going, oh, Ruckman, Ruckman can't do that. They're not allowed to. <laughs> it's just really funny to listen to. Um, but yeah, this, this, this is a cracking game. Um, it, it was, it's good for Port Adelaide to actually beat another team in the top eight. It's something they've struggled to do this year. Um, they've, been, you know, they've been called bullies. Um, but yeah, Sydney, Sydney are playing really, really good footy. So even though it was in Adelaide, it's a re- really good win for Port because Sydney were awesome. Like it's it's pretty hard to beat them when Franklin kicks four goals and is laying chase down tackles on your captain. Like that makes things pretty difficult. But no, they were still able to win. So yeah, yeah, really well done. That's about all I can say. It, it was really really good to see Franklin play the way he did. He's now into sixth. He's gone past Jack Titus in the all-time goals kicked. Um, he, will, he probably doesn't get to the 1,000 this year, but he probably gets there early next year, which will be special. It probably never happens again, at least not in the lifetime of anyone who's alive right now. Maybe the game changes and develops again in 100 years and goes back to you know super, super high scoring, but for now, that no one will ever get to a thousand goals. It's just not going to happen. Um, it's too hard to do, but he's going to do it because he'll go around again next year and he'll get there and it'll be absolutely magical. All right, on to the Saturday night game. Melbourne holding off a very, very gallant Essendon. Es- Essendon and and their fans should not be at all disappointed with this game. They should be thrilled with how their team is playing this year because they're playing really, really well. Like, that, they fell into the trap that a lot of teams have fallen into this year and that was just they kept bombing it in to their forward line thinking that was going to work. But that's exactly what Stephen May and Jake Lever and Harrison Petty a little bit want you to do. And, you know, 
it, it just made them it just made it really hard for Essendon to kick a winning score when Melbourne's defenders were just marking everything. But uh, apart from that, Essendon are going really, really well. Like the all the other aspects of their game are pretty solid. Like Sam Draper is going to develop into a really solid ruckman. They got good young midfielders. Merritt re-signing is awesome. Stringer's in pretty good form. Obviously didn't play the game that he did last week, but still in good form. Um, it, like it, As far as performances against the top team in the competition go, they should pat themselves on the back. They did really well. Um, Melbourne, it's so funny. Like Melbourne are uh, a game clear on top of the ladder, and yet they seem to have fallen out of the conversation about who's going to win the flag. They... When it comes to finals and grand finals, it really becomes all about defence. Like, you'll notice that when it comes to finals games, often there's less scoring. That's because teams lock it down and they more focus on the other team not scoring than themselves scoring, right? And who, at the moment, has the best backline in the comp? It's Melbourne, right? Um, and, and And they're... Game clear on top of the ladder. I don't know what else everyone wants them to do, but <laughs> they are a game clear on top of the ladder, so they're very, very likely to finish there. Um, they're the, the one thing that is still not going perfectly for them. It was going really, really well at the start of the year. It's sort of dropped off a little bit. Is their forward line like you know, the, you know, Pickett, McDonald, Jackson. You know, Fritch are not all firing in quite the way that they were two months ago. So, like, they can definitely return to that. But I think that they are still a little bit lost around how exactly they want their, their tools set up. Um, yeah, so, like, they got McDonald, Jackson, Wiedemann, Brown. Fritch is sort of a medium. Like, the, the, those those four guys, right? Only three of them can fit in the team. So, Brown has been playing a lot of VFL games. I don't think he came to Melbourne to play for Casey. I don't think that. He's, he's, you know, one of the best forwards in the competition over the last five years. Get him in. Get him in and see if you can start kicking like 100, 120 points every week. Because I think you might. I don't know. Just have a crack. Um, but yeah, if they, if they can get that nailed down going into finals, no one will be able to beat them, and they'll just clean sweep all the way to the flag. Um, yeah, they, they just will. Okay, going into the Sunday game. Sunday was another really, really good day of footy. Like for all sorts of different teams, it was it was a great day. But the the Hawks and the Giants game, everyone just about would have tipped the Giants. Giants are playing pretty good footy. Hawthorne down the bottom. Giants are trying to push into the eight, and now they've blown it because Hawthorne beat them by three goals. And Tim O'Brien's taken mark of the year. Maybe. It, it's my favourite mark of the year so far. Um, just because it, uh, it just looks the best of all of them. Um, but who knows who's going to win it. 
it's funny. Like, suddenly Hawthorne are playing pretty decent footy. Like, they beat Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Now they've beaten the Giants, who are pushing me into the eight. Um, like, I, I don't, like, it shows you again what a masterful coach Clarkson is. Because a lot of coaches, like, the team would just end up maintaining the same form for the whole year. You know, winning a game every six weeks or so, something like that. Um, but, like, suddenly, when, when Hawthorne put it all together, suddenly they look like they're completely heading in the right direction. They've got all these good young players, like, their, their forward line looks great when O'Brien's doing those things. Their back line look set with all these youngsters like Scrimshaw and Jive, like that they look really, really good all of a sudden when they play like this, they look really, really good. Um Yeah God, the Giants blew it, didn't they? They completely blew they they, they it'll be a miracle now for them to make the eight. They had to win this game. If they had won they would have been in the eight. Because Richmond lost they would have gone above Fremantle and Richmond, and they'd be in the eight. But they lost it. So, when it comes to the end of the year, this and, you know, the North Melbourne game will be what they rue the most, I am certain. Uh, that being said, they are doing one thing that I really like, and that's playing both Biggs, Briggs, Biggs. They're Rackman. Is it Briggs or Biggs? God, I've forgotten. But they're playing him and Flynn together in the team. So they've gone off Mumford recently. Um, but at the start of the year, they couldn't figure out which one they wanted to play. It makes complete sense to play them both. Let them play together. And then you'll really see, you know, which one is going to be your number one moving forward. Maybe this is your new game plan. Stick with the two Ruckman. Because they're both doing really good. Neither of them have played a game at the start of this year. They're both going really nicely. So that, that is one thing that I've noticed from the Giants, which you know I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of any team going with the two-ruck approach. I think it's really underrated. Um, but yeah, well, I like that it you know, obviously didn't work for them on the weekend, but I like that they're doing it okay. And then we had the Doggies going over to Perth and beating the Eagles at Opta Stadium in front of no crowd by 55 points. This was a little bit scary because this is another one. I was like, oh, it's in Perth, West Coast, you know, should be able to control the game pretty well. They know the ground. The Dogs have just had a you know, quarantine bullshit week. The, you know, Eagles will get them. No, sir. The, the dogs just, just when you think that they're not on the same level as Brisbane and Melbourne or even Geelong, they play a game like this where the opposition just comes a little bit of, just becomes a little bit of food that they're just going to play with. They, they could have won this game by a lot more. They have a lot more scoring shots than West Coast. They completely eviscerated them. I could not believe this was happening. I thought West Coast were actually starting to string together some legitimately consistent football. But then the dogs have just come out and 
done this. Like, this is frightening. Like, Aaron Norton clunking everything. Bontempelli. So, I've been pretty, been pretty strong on the idea that it's really, really difficult to win a Brownlow when you've got other good players around you because they take votes off you. Bontempelli will have gotten so many three-vote games so far this year. He could win this Brownlow in a landslide. He could tally up 40 votes the way that he's... Like, he kicked another, like, three goals or something playing out of the midfield. That one he kicked from the pocket was just ridiculous. Like, he is the most complete footballer that I can remember. Like, his field kicking, his goal kicking, his stoppage work, his personal clearance work, like, he is remarkable. And he's, you know, he's six foot four or whatever, and he looks big and tall and slow. And even when he runs, he doesn't look that fast, but his strides are so enormous that he's actually really quick as well. He, he is the perfect footballer. And he's a very good captain. He leads by example. The way he plays is a sort of, you know, style of play that you would just want to follow. It's like, gee, look at him go. Let's, you know, let's help him play like that. Let's emulate him, you know. He is remarkable. And their whole, their whole team, like when they bought in Trelaw and didn't lose anyone else, you go, how are they going to fit all these midfielders into their team? There's no way. How are they going to do that? You know, they're going to be compromising their forward line, their back line, all of it to fit these midfielders in. But fuck me, does it work? It works. Libertore has become the best inside mid in the competition. McRae has 30-plus disposals every week. Bailey Smith played probably his best game for the year on the weekend. They still have Trelaw and Dunkley to come back in. When Trelaw comes back in, they're going to be a completely different team just because of the outside run that he brings. When Stefan Martin comes back in, that's another dimension that other teams aren't going to be ready for. Gee whiz, the dogs are building something pretty special here. Um, like Geelong, the issue I have with them is their key defence. Um, but, you know, if, if they do need to break glass for an emergency, they've got Aaron Norton, who they could, you know, if... It gets to a grand final, and they're four points up with five minutes to go. They could put Aaron Norton at fullback, just as that, because we know we've seen all year that he can take a fucking mark. He can clunk them. So they and that you know that's what he was drafted as as a key defender. So you could throw him down there, but I think moving forward. They need to acquire another, same as Geelong, they need to acquire another key defender. He's going to be a permanent defender. Because Keith is doing really well, and their whole team defence is really good. But I fear that when they come up against a Brisbane or, you know, a Geelong, like, these teams that have really, really high-quality, experienced key defenders, like... The, the dogs will be in trouble. Not so much trouble that, you know, this is an urgent thing that they somehow need to fix, but it, it, they just, I'm sure they will 
they'll be keeping it in mind, definitely. Um, but yeah, that they, they to do that to West Coast in Perth is very, very impressive and very worrisome for the other teams in the top eight. This is the kind of form the dogs are in. Um, West Coast, they need to actually be careful that they don't suddenly find themselves having to fight to stay in the eight with three weeks to go. They need to pick up some games here before the pressure piles on even more because they've got Fremantle trying very hard to get into the eight, Essendon, GWS and St Kilda still all mathematical chances. Um, GWS more so because they've got that two-point advantage. Um, and, you know, Richmond, you know, looking down the barrel of potentially slipping out of the eight. There is going to be a lot more movement between where West Coast are and where St Kilda are on the ladder before the end of the year. West Coast have got to be winning these games at home to make sure they don't have to worry in the last two or three weeks of the year. They couldn't do it against the, like the, a win against the dogs would not have been easy, but if they'd been more on, they, they could have been a lot, lot, lot more competitive because the dogs had had a rough week. And, you know, even though it's in front of no crowd, being an Optus is an advantage for the home team, for sure. Okay, the last game of the round was another cracker. And my man, Eddie Betts, nearly took mark of the century. Tried to take, you know, he's won goal of the year so many times, he tried to win mark of the year as well. If he had hung on to that ball, that would have been mark of the year. That would have been fucking epic. 35-year-old little fella jumping up onto someone's shoulders and taking an enormous screamer. That would have been the highlight of the year for a lot of people. It would have been awesome if you'd hung on to that. But if only, you know, didn't happen. Um, Gee, Carlton needed this win. God, do they need this win. And it was such a, it was such a bizarre victory as well. Like, it was unconvincing, let's be real. And, like, the way that they got on that roll and kicked eight goals in the second quarter. I don't think there is anyone under the age of 30 who have seen Carlton play the way they played in that second quarter in their life. Like Carlton haven't been a legitimately good side since the 90s. And even then, I bet they weren't kicking eight goals in a quarter very often. Like that, like Adelaide completely dropped the ball in that 30 minutes and let Carlton just have complete and utter control. Um, it was quite remarkable to watch, really. And, like, the, they... You can see how everyone got involved. Cripps got a goal, and Williams got a goal, and everyone got to have a goal. Like, it was good to see them experience that and get around each other, like, all that stuff. Speaking of Williams, the, he, he was under a lot of pressure during the week, um, a lot of criticism... He came out and played really well, but then like a fucking idiot, he's gone and got himself suspended. He's got he's got a week off for drilling Ben Key's face into the synthetic turf around the outside of the of the ground. Really just boneheaded move, especially after he'd played so well. Um, 
you know, actions like that say to me that he's still a liability for Carlton. Can't be relied on just yet. But if he comes back from the suspension and continues to play the way he played on the weekend, he'll be great. He'll be a great pickup for them long term. Um, but yeah, do they needed this win? It, it helps a lot to go into the review with this win. Helps Teague a lot. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was unconvincing. Like if they hadn't kicked all those goals in the second quarter, Adelaide would have won this game because you know Carlton got however far in front they did, and then Adelaide just started chipping away at the lead, chipping away, kicking a goal every five to ten minutes. Oh, excuse me, five to ten minutes just. Getting closer and closer, and they got pretty close in the last quarter, and Carlton actually had to work pretty hard to hang on, which they should not have had to do. They should have had that game under control, but they couldn't quite get there. Um, I didn't watch a lot of this game, but I watched a little bit. It's, it seems like Carlton just sort of have, and you could see it, like the fact that they couldn't control the lead that they'd worked really hard to get. They've got a bit of a tempo issue. They can't... You know, they seem to just have one speed that they play at. They can't slow the game down or speed the game up at their will when they need it, um, which will come as they develop as a side, but it's a really good skill to have, especially when you've, you know, gotten out to a good lead and the other team is, like, St Kilda tried to do it against Adelaide. The conditions hurt and, you know, Adelaide's momentum was just a bit much, but they tried to go into heavy, heavy conservation mode. They tried to do it too early. Um, they didn't read that one great, but they they knew what they wanted to do. Whereas, whereas Carlton just sort of kept doing what they were doing and just seemed to hope that Adelaide wouldn't get back in front. Luckily, they didn't. But yeah, um, it, was, it was another really good game. There was, you know, probably five games across this round that were really, really brilliant to watch including this one. Um, I mentioned Sam Walsh before when I was talking about Andrew Brayshaw. Um, I think Walsh is going to be, probably in two years' time, he'll be in the top three players in the competition because he is, every single week he is showing why he went number one more and more. He is just... He's... he's now Carlton's best player by a good way. I know Cripps just signed a six-year deal, which I have my opinions on, which I'll keep to myself. Um, but Walsh is their best player, and he's going to be their best player for the next decade, unless they trade in Bontempelli or Petrarca. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, like when you've got him and Mackay and Wietering to build around, everything suddenly seems okay at Carlton, but kind of like Gold Coast, despite having a very solid list, they just can't seem to put it together for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, that's that's round 15 all done, guys. It was a cracker. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, I said in one of my podcasts last week that I've moved into the into the new study so with the new setup for recording um, I'm working towards getting a you know filming setup happening to do you know stuff on YouTube I'm just sort of gonna wait until I can afford to get the equipment that I need to get if you want to help me along the way with that just sign up to my only fans it's just me dressed in Star Wars cosplay but I 
I promise it's worth your time. Um, yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Bye.